So today we are going, if you want to turn your books in your Bible, to uh, Psalm chapter 1. It means Psalm. Title today's uh, message would be the Two Roads to God. Now, all roads lead to Rome, right? We've probably all heard that phrase before, all roads lead to Rome. Um, But what does it mean? Where did it come from? Well, in the past, starting around the year 300 BC, uh, the Roman Empire began building this great infrastructure of roads. Um, and they need these roads you know, for their armies and just for all the merchants that were coming to Rome. And this vast network of roads, it spread out through, you know, there's 29 major roads. It spread all over the empire, even down to Africa. And so really, quite literally, anywhere you were within uh, Europe, you were very close to one of these roads, and if you got on that road, it would lead you back to Rome. So it was true, and that phrase was used you know, many years later, even by a French poet in 1175, and that's where that term was kind of coined. But what does it mean? When we say all roads to lead to Rome, typically we think that it's usually, no matter which road you take, you're going to get the same destination. right? Um, no matter, you know, there's a lot of ways to get there, and people will usually interpret this thinking even in our eternity you know they believe that you know well there's a lot of ways you can get to heaven right it doesn't matter you know what specifically you believe that you know you believe a lot of different way uh things and really if you're just you know good enough you know or if you have good intentions in your heart um and if 51 percent of your life is you know in the positive or good intent that you know you're going to get there um so I have to say, you know, I agree. All roads do lead to Rome, and all the paths that people take do lead to God. But hear me carefully here. They all lead to God, but on two different paths, and they have two very stark different outcomes on how you get to God and the judgment that we will have. Um, So today... I want to be looking at these two different pathways that Psalm 1 um, lays out for us. There is the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And these paths are marked by the actions and different attributes of the righteous and the wicked. And both paths do lead to God. Um, And it's really crucial to know what path you are on and to really focus down on that. So I'm going to read out of Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity, for this church family that's here, Lord. I just thank you for everyone who's um, here today, for the safety and getting here. And I just pray that uh, you make my words clear so as not to distract 
from um, your word, Lord. And just, I pray that um, the blessing that I've received in this passage, um, that these people here will truly be blessed by that as well. And they will remember it and take it with them throughout the rest of this week. And they will meditate on this word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I also have the opportunity to do a call to worship several times you know, at our church. And I typically will also go to one of the Psalms. And I love reading through the book of Psalms. We'll do this before we start um, with our singing. And the Psalms, just kind of a brief history of that, you know, it's a collection of five books. And if you look in your Bible, usually you'll see either a Roman numeral before different sections, or it'll just say book one. So you'll probably see that in your Bible before Psalm 1. It'll say book one. Um, now, all five of the books of Psalms, they're unique from the rest of the Bible, uh, mostly just in the style, but in how personal they are. Um, they focus on the relationship and the response to God's authority um, and his power and mercy. A lot of the Psalms might go like this. You know, God, you are wonderful, and I'm, I'm garbage. Right? You'll see that. Or there'll be another Psalm saying, God, I'm in deep trouble here with my enemies, and you're the only one who knows what's going on. Please help me. And we got a lot of those from David, right? a lot of those Psalms. And then there's just the praise Psalms. You know, just God, thank you, thank you, thank you. These are the, typically the type of Psalms that you'll see there. Um, these psalms were meant to be uh, recited and meditated on. You know, they were songs. You know, they'd have choir leaders instructed to them. They would sing it to them. And so the people would memorize these psalms and sing it over and over. And by doing so, you know, they would um, be ingrained in their, um, on their minds and in their hearts. Um, the other interesting thing about the psalms is just how much prophecy that there was in the psalms. There's actually more prophecy in the psalms that point to the ministry of Jesus than anywhere else um, in the Old Testament. Um, there's more than 90 specific prophecies just within these psalms that focus on the ministry of what Jesus was going to do. And Psalm 1, you know, that we're looking at today, was an introduction for all the rest of the psalms. It sets up the basic premise, the outline of how um, the rest of the psalms would follow. Um, the first one is that just God's written word is vital um, to his people. Um, here's a reference that, if you're keeping notes, Joshua 1, 6 through 9. is a great passage there talking about the importance of this word. I'll just read out of verse 8. It says, This book the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. I could just end the sermon right there if you just focus on that one verse. That if you just take um, take the heart that we are to focus, we are to meditate on the word and delight in it. Um, that it will guide your way. And that is the prosperity and success you will have in life. Um, there are a lot of wisdom themes that also come, you know, in the, um, you know, the book of Psalms. And this, uh, this one starts off here. Well... I have to get into myself. But at uh, Potter Valley Bible, we've been uh, studying a lot in Matthew and about the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the specific uh, parts of that um, sermon that Jesus was giving to the people 
was the Beatitudes. And if you remember those within the Beatitudes, they have a lot of blessings. It'll be like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the gentle, you know, and so on. Um, that passage there is very um, similar and parallel with this passage in Psalms, which we will see more so about all the blessings. So the in that same um, sermon that Jesus gave with all the different blessings, he goes on to give some other um, parables and other explanations. We talk about the gates, right? That We had the narrow and the wide gates um, as far as to heaven and into hell. And then there was talking about trees that bear fruit and the trees that don't. And then there was the story of the wise men and the foolish man. Remember those, right? One built his house on the sand and the other on the rock. Um, and then also then he, Jesus goes on and talks about the tares you know, or the chaff among the wheat. All this whole passage that he had, was um, much of that was right out of Psalm 1. Um, and I think there's a lot of great matching points there as far as just describing the path between the righteous and the wicked. Um, in Matthew, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So as we look at um, Psalm 1, there's the style that it, this psalm is in. It's poetry. Um, much of the psalms are like that. And it's not like the our typical poetry, like roses are red, violets are blue type of thing. It's really a repetition of different emotions or themes that um, the author would want to get across. And the style that this Psalm 1, it's called antithetic parallelism. All that means is that it'll, an example of that is in Proverbs 11:17, where it says, a kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings himself harm. Right? It'll say one thing, and it'll either say the opposite, like this happens to this person, and the, someone else who's not that has a different characteristic. And sometimes it doesn't even have to say what the opposite is. You can just infer. You know, so if it says this is what the righteous are, then you know that the wicked are not that thing. And that is what happens in this passage here. The Psalm 1 outlines there are two ways and two paths with vastly different outcomes. There's no middle ground. Right? There's no um, opportunity where you have heaven, hell, and then you have a mediocre heaven, or you have, well, you're good enough to get into heaven. There's no life that you can be, that you can do just good enough things. You are either one or the other, and that's what this passage sets it up. Um, and so, at the very verse 6 of this passage, it's going to get in talking about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, and it's saying, blessed is the man, which also means blessed is the righteous. So, and that first one where it says blessed is the man what is that where that word blessed and if you look up the definition what that means uh, the word here it's a Hebrew word card called Escher um, sometimes we interpret that as happy we think oh I'm I'm feeling very blessed and it just means oh I'm a happy person but it actually goes much deeper than that it's not just a state of feeling like I'm either happy or sad Blessed here is actually um, a res- being happy as a result of receiving something you know, from grace. So when you feel like you are blessed, it's because you have some type of happiness, something that was not owed to you, you now have that. And so this blessed is a man, you know, there's not just a casual feeling he has there. He was truly blessed with something of grace. Um, so 
what distinguishes the righteous from the wicked? Like who are the righteous? Because that's who this is talking about, is who these righteous are. So the description of who they are, in Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Well, maybe got the wrong verse there because that doesn't say who the righteous are. Let's try Psalms 143, 1 and 2. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. Answer me with your faithfulness and your righteousness, and do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. Well, that goes against that. All right, well, who are the righteous then? Right, we're talking about blessed are the righteous, but the Bible clearly says that there are none righteous, you know, other than God. Um, so there was no other one that was righteous other than Jesus Christ. So how do we become righteous? How do we make ourselves righteous? All right, we can't. Right, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. Um, in Romans 4, 4 through 5, it says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, he believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. So we cannot make ourselves righteous. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that his saving, um, that saving blood that we are then declared righteous through God. And so we do not, in this pathway of talking about the righteous, this is not something that, hey, just live a righteous life, do good things, and you'll be on that path. No, this is already for those who God has already declared righteous because they have already put their faith in Jesus Christ and um, as their Savior. And now those are blessed. Um, there is not, like I said before, there's not a gray area there's you know it's either one or the other you know there's uh, um so um you know if we ask a lot of people you know in our neighborhoods you know co-workers or so forth you ask them where, where are you going you know after you die right if you believe in a so if you believe in place you know after death you know most of them are say oh i'm gonna go to heaven or whatever they believe is a greater place that's what you know, they'll say but then you ask them, like, well, why do you believe that? And then they usually think, well, I'm good enough. You know, they think, like, I have good intentions. You know, I'm, um, and they think, oh, well, or they might even go as far as to say, well, I've, I was raised in the church. I've gone to church, you know, a lot of times or even all my life. Um, I even have a Bible, right? And they think, well, I'm going to go um, to heaven because of these things because they're good enough. But... I won't uh, read it in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. That's always been a, a scary verse, a little passage there for me. Um, that's where um, Jesus is saying that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's always been such a scary thing to me because there are many people within the church who will be in that camp. Right? They will be thinking, well, I've been to church all my life and I have a Bible and I've sat through the sermons like that. And when the day comes that they stand before God, they're like, yeah, it's, it's me, God. You know me. And God 
Jesus will be there and you say, you know, depart. Because it's not about what you did. You know, it's about what I did. It's about what Jesus did and where that person has put their faith. And if they've truly repented from their sins because of what, and the acknowledgement of what Jesus has done, dying for them. So we're looking at some descriptions of what the righteous are like, um, how they are described, um, the actions of the righteous. And at the very beginning of here, we actually get a description of the righteous by what they don't do. So it's a negative um, description there. It says, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. All right, so these are things, three things that the righteous does not do. Um, so walks not in the council, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a progression here. This is not just something where we think of like, well, Satan's out there handing out pitchforks to people saying, hey, join my team, right? Do you want to you wanna go to hell with me or do you want to rule over this world with me? And people say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get on team Satan here, right? And it's not just so like, oh, well, of course I'm not going to choose that. No, there's a progression here where there's a lot of people, like what we saw in the passage before, that think that they are on the righteous path. But the sin is a progressive step. Um, and that first thing of walking not in the counsel of the wicked. So what is that as far as the counsel of the wicked? Where do we get our counsel today? And we think of, um, there's a lot of self-help books out there, right? Um, things that are going to help improve your life. Or there's plenty of celebrities, I'm sure, Oprah or Dr. Phil or you know some other people like on TV or might say, hey, this is you know the ten steps to improve your life or what you should be doing to be happy. Right? There's all, tons of stuff out there. There's a lot of those things um, even in the Christian bookstores, you know, which there's less and less of those. But if you go there, there's some self-help books there that you have to be wary of because of what they are promoting. Is it self-help you are looking for? Or is it glorifying God in your life that you're looking for? Because that is the difference between godly counsel and the wicked counsel. We can have counsel from just our unsaved friends who think, hey, I, I, you know, these are good friends of mine, and they tell us of things we should be doing, how to make decisions. And the root of it is not to glorify God in what we do. And so we should not be seeking that type of input. Um, the Bible is complete, right? It's fully complete, and the words are, you know, the direction is there for us. The Pharisees, in the time of Christ, they would give all these different counsel you know, to the people there. They would tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and when the disciples were telling Jesus that, hey, the Pharisees are really upset by what you're, you're telling um, the people, that you, know, you shouldn't be listening to what the Pharisees are saying. And Jesus said, in Matthew 15, 13 through 14, it says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Right, so there's the blind leading the blind. Right? If someone is out there is um, an unredeemed soul, that's not the person that you should be seeking your godly counsel from. The second thing that the righteous are not to do, nor stand in the way of sinners. This has gone past just the council. Now you're actually, um, you've sought the council, but now you're actually taking actions um, as far as their, it's the next progressive step, right? It wasn't like, obviously, if you take you know, ungodly counsel, you might 
at this point now, start taking ungodly actions in your life. Um, and then the third one, as far as sits in the seat of scoffers. That next progression point is these people are not just acting on these things, they're actually encouraging others you know, to sin with them. Um, they're actually they're, um, against the church. They're against as far as what the word of God is saying. Um, so it's not just you go from you know, being a righteous life to where you just fall into sin. There are things that we do in our life um, that you know, progressively lead to the sinful life. I mean, how many of us, I mean, how easy that we think that we can walk around sin without stepping in anything, right? So it's something that, I mean, we think about what, what TV shows are we watching, what music do we listen to, websites that we go to, um, just the books we go to, and we think, well, I, I can take this in, but, you know, it's not going to cause me to sin, right? And we're, we're filling our minds, the influence that we have with some of these things. Now, the Bible does not call us to say, hey, uh, segregate yourselves from the world and uh, put yourself in a hole, you know, in the hill like that or in a commune. It's not saying that at all. We are to be a light in this world, the dark world. So we um, are supposed to be out among our community, but they should be able to see the decisions and actions we take in our life um, that are following, that are righteous, that are following God. It says, uh, do, not be, be, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good, good morals. Or you've heard the other phrase, he who lies down with the dogs makes up with fleas. Right? So what should we be doing? Well, we need to practice holiness. We practice reading the Bible. We practice prayer. These are all things that you have to put work into as far as to work on your as far as spiritual life. You need to work at you know, obeying God and in your um, walk. So things that the righteous do... Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So you delight and meditate on the word of God. Um, do you delight in the word of God? Do you meditate on it? Um, it was just, you know, just over 400 years ago, access to the Bible was a lot harder to get. You know, before the King James came out, right? It was, it was hard to have um, the Bible. People would have to go to different churches or synagogues or hear from the pastors or priests, they would read them the Bible. A lot of people couldn't read for themselves. So they would hear the word of God at that time, and people would uh, recite it over and over, and then they would memorize the word at that time because they didn't have their own Bible. So that's where they're at. Today, we have, there's plenty of Bibles in this room here, and you can get Bibles for free. If you've got a smartphone, you've got a Bible app on there you can have with you everywhere you go. Right? There's no... We have no excuse for not having um, the Bible. Um, there was a, I was inspired when I was uh, first preparing this, uh, this passage here. There was a biography that uh, my son was writing on Fanny Crosby. I don't know if many of you right, are familiar with her life and work. I just want to read this little brief little passage just about her life because I think it really reflects this point here about meditating on the Word. Frances Jane Crosby was born March 24, 1820, slightly north of New York City to John and Mercy Crosby. At six weeks old, she caught a cold and developed inflammation of the eyes, which resulted in a discharge. No physician was available, so the family followed the advice of a stranger who claimed that hot mustard poultices applied to her eyelids would treat the discharge. Fanny's parents believed that this is the procedure damaged her optic nerves and resulted in her blindness. 
Modern physicians suspected that she may have been um, blind at birth. Fanny could differentiate between light and dark, but that was it. She was destined to spend her life without the gift of sight. Fanny's family believed strongly in Christianity as part of everyday life. The family altar, a time for prayer and Bible reading, was a central part of their home. Since Fanny couldn't read, her grandmother helped her to memorize scripture, starting in earnest around the age of 10. Fanny later commented, It was Grandma who brought the Bible to me and me to the Bible. She said, The stories of the holy book came from her lips and entered my heart and took deep root there. Fanny memorized five chapters of the Bible each week. And by the time she was 15, with the help of her grandmother and later their landlady, she had memorized get this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and many of the Psalms. She had those all memorized. Fanny did this blind, unable to read for herself, and fully dependent on memorizing scripture by hearing the words and not saying them. This meant a great deal of work for whoever was helping her, reading the scriptures over and over until Fanny had them committed to memory. With scripture so ingrained in her mind and so readily available to her lips at all times, it's understandable how she would go on to author 9,000 hymns, of which many are in the hymnals that we have today. I was so inspired by that, thinking that her, her commitment to the word and just, it's crazy how much that she memorized, but then what that would do to you, what would do your life. Of course, obviously, she's going to write many hymns after that because she's going to want to express just the changes that happened in her life and express uh, the glory that she sees in the scripture of God. So do you read your Bible? Right? There's, um, the hard thing we do is we try and plan a time, like the right time to read the Bible. We think, all right, well, I'm going to get up extra early you know, before work and I read it. And it's somebody like, no, 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 I'm going to read it you know, um, right before I go to bed. So that's when I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. And you make a plan and life happens. It gets interrupted and we're like, okay, I didn't get around to it. And maybe we're good at it for a while. Maybe you start January 1st with a plan to like, I'm going to read through the Bible. And then that goes away and you're like, okay, I'll get around to it. Um, it's easy to make excuses later on when we're trying to find the perfect time you know, to read the Bible. We just got to do it. it. has to be the priority. Do you delight in the word of God? The delight here that it says we are to do, it's an emotional word. It's taking great pleasure in the word of God. Um, when you do read the uh, word of God, do you delight in it? I think of things that I delight in. When the uh, 49ers are playing, I delight in the game. Right? I, I get excited. I think about before the game is going to happen, I'm getting all anticipating it. When the game's happening, I'm delighting in that game. And when it's after, even days after, I think about the game. So I, I delight in uh, that. Something that just, you know, makes makes a smile and happiness. And there's nothing wrong with delighting in things like that as far as unless it now interferes with anything that bring that is supposed to be bringing glory to God. If it's now the thing that stops me from reading the Bible, um, then now that is a negative thing, something we should not be doing. What are we putting in our brains? Freshman year of high school, I took like a elementary type uh, computer class. And the only thing I really remember from that class is they said for programming was like garbage in, garbage out, right? As far as when you're programming a computer, whatever you put into it, that's what it's going to give back to you. 
That's the same thing here as far as what do you put in your mind, that's what's going to be coming out. And so what are we spending our time on? Um, I came across an illustration of um, there's this man who went to uh, talk to his pastor, and he was saying, you know, I'm not, I'm reading the Bible, I'm just not getting anything out of it. You know, it's just, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not learning, I'm not changing, or anything like that. So his pastor gave him a challenge. He said, you know what, I want you to read 2 Peter 12 times every day for a month. Every day, right, for a whole month. And the guy thought, uh, it's a little excessive, right? But he was like, he challenged him to do it. He's like, well, okay, I'll, I'll do this, and we'll see if that really makes a difference. So this guy did it, and this is true. He really read 2 Peter 12 times every single day for a month. And you might uh, wonder what that does to him. He says, after a while, that's all he could think about, understandably, was Second Peter. And everywhere he looked, it was he says that the uh, seemed like the stars of heaven were singing the story of Second Peter. He couldn't help but tell other people about Second Peter because he was filling his mind with it. Um, and he had to spread that to everyone else. I mean, there's got to be better things to fill your mind with, such as Second Peter, than, you know, the stats on what the 49ers are doing, right? It's got to be something else. Um, it's true. You might not argue, but no, you got, you got to know that filling your, body, uh, your mind with the law and the word of God is what's going to, is what is going to come out. It's going to be real change in your life. This is the, you know, your delight is in the law of the Lord. It doesn't say your obligation or just bringing your Bible um, to church, you know, is what you should be doing. We should be delighting in the word. Um, John Calvin actually had a sermon where he was saying, um, he describes how the righteous man is one who meditates deeply on the word of God, but the only, only those who've repented first and withdrawn from the society of the ungodly are even capable of such deep meditation on the word. So this is not a cause-effect thing where um, you, you met, when you meditate on the word of God, that makes you righteous. No, this is after we've already accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we've repented from... Um, our life of sin that we could then actually um, delight in the law of the word. So that's the first thing we do is that we acknowledge that we are sinners, that Jesus is the only way to save us. And then the, uh, the word of God will be a delight to us. So looking at some of the character of the righteous. In verse 3, it says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. So, like a tree firmly planted by water. This is not just a tree that just sprouts up on its own. This is a tree that was purposely put somewhere and was put by water. right? By like a gardener or a landscaper. It didn't just pop up by itself. It has what it needs to live. Um, it was firmly there, not to be blown away. And it has the nourishment of water. So what is that water? I mean, it's life, right? All the plants, they need to have water. And without it, it's certain death. Um, God knows what we need every day. He knows our thoughts. Um, he knows what our, our struggles are. And it says specifically for the righteous that he will provide us that water. Um, and if we were to look back, well, what is that water? Well, we look back in verse 2, we know that it's in uh, the word of God. That water for us is the word of God. So in our struggles, if we think about what Fanny Crosby did, the memorization as far as all the word, that is the um, water we have. If it's on your mind, it will be on your lips. 
and it'll be in your um, heart. And so when we are struggling um, with things that family, illnesses, problems at work, if we have the word of God memorized, then we will be able to recall that at times that we need it. And that will be the sustaining water that we need. In Psalms 19, 7 through 10, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So this tree that's been planted, it's not like you see um, a tumbleweed, right? These tumbleweeds, they dry it up and they just blow around and they might come in contact with water, but it's already dead. You know, it's not going to then plant roots and then um, grow up. The wicked are like those tumbleweeds as far as they will, get, they, weren't can, they will come across. People might hear the word of God, but whenever they have not truly accepted, it does nothing for them. They do not yield fruit. Um, so what's something that can wither your life? That might be harsh for us, right? They, uh, we all have struggles. We have bills, you know, we have mortgages, car payments, uh, obligations at work. Uh, we have sicknesses. We have problems with family. We have, there's all many different things we'd have. And we will suffer, you know, as Christians. It's just a given. But knowing that we have that sustaining water, that life um, that God has provided through the Word of God, is what uh, will sustain us. Um, I had a uh, Sunday school lesson with our with the kids. They were, uh, you know, like the ten-year-old children class, and um, we were talking about as far as knowing um, our uh, trees by the fruit that they, you know, that they bear. It's like, how can you tell an orange tree from an apple tree? Right? Just look at the fruit. You know what it's putting out, and you're like, this is an apple tree, this is a fruit tree, um, I mean, an orange tree, and so forth. But we are known by that fruit. So um, in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, it talks about going on that, that we are known. You have to beware of um, you know, the false prophets are out there, but people will be known by the fruit that they produce. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Our lives will sh- they will have signs of growth. Our lives will have signs that we are learning, that we are applying the word of God to us. Um, and through our speech, through our actions, um, it will be evident to this dark world that we are living a life for Christ. But what the wicked are known for, in verse 4 it says, The wicked are not so, they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Um, that chaff, you know, tell me what that is. You know, back, you know, you've heard the, uh, you know, sorts of stories of how they would, uh, they'd get the grain, right? And they would grind it down. They'd have with the animals pulling the heavy carts, and it grinds down as far as the grain, and it would separate out, you know, the grain from the chaff. And then they would thresher would get it, and they'd throw it up in the air, and they'd have this tunnel throughout, um, usually a wind tunnel like in their, where their barn was, and they would, it, the wind would blow the chaff away, and the heavier grain would drop down, and it would now be separated. And that chaff would be out, they would gather that up, and then they would burn that chaff. Um, and in Matthew 3, they say what happens, um, what Christ does with that chaff, that it will be uh, eternally burned with an unquenchable fire. So that, all those 
um, those who are not children of God will be separated from his children and they will face um, complete destruction. So uh, looking more as far as the the destination, we've looked at you know some of the differences between the righteous you know and the wicked, but looking at as far as the destination, these people are in the path. Uh, the path in verse five it says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Um, we have the outcome of the two paths here. The godly, the ungodly, they are not going to be in the congregation with the righteous. At the end, they will have been separated. Um, there is no weighing, like in our court system, you know, we say we have the statue of the lady holding up the scales, right? And saying, all right, are you good enough? You've done more good than uh, than bad. And then that's why, all right, you're good enough. You're either, you know, you're innocent or guilty or good enough to go to heaven. There's no weighing like that. Um, it's, you're either one or the other as far as you're righteous or you're wicked. And remember, like I said, that righteousness is not something that you do good enough enough righteousness in your life. It's not an action we can do because we, we can't make ourselves righteous. We are declared righteous only by God through the blood of Christ. So that is the first thing we do is that um, we acknowledge God and we, we ask for forgiveness and we confess uh, our sins and we ask for his salvation through his mercy, through the um, his death on the cross, knowing that it's only his work um, that we could then have that, that grace and that mercy to be able to be with him in eternity in heaven. The In verse 6, it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word uh, for knows here, um, the, the Hebrew, as far as they get down to the meaning of it, it's more of a, it's a progressive word. It's saying the Lord is knowing that's the difference here. It's not just something like he's aware or he, you know, since he knows everything, of course he knows me and he knows my life. But no, he is actively participating and he has an intimate knowledge in all of my actions and all my thoughts and all my concerns. So he knows the way of the righteous and he's involved. So how does, you know, Almighty God have time for, you know, little old me, right? How is he, am I that important for him in the grand scheme of the whole world? In Matthew 6, 25, it's talking about God taking care of the birds. Right? He takes care of all their needs. He takes care of all, all the animals. He knows all these small little things. He helps. You know, he, um, they know where to get their food. Um, they know what they, uh, for life. And he, he cares for all of them. But, and, so, and then he says, so how much more does he care for his children? If he puts so much effort and care in the design and the rest of the world, then the us that he's called his children... Uh, how much more does he care for us? Uh, we are, and it says, are you not worth much more than they? So he is um, actively involved in our lives. And he knows as far as what scripture we need, we need to be filling our minds with the scripture over and over. That's the, the least we can do as far as to be putting our, um, filling our bodies with his word. Um, the way of the wicked shall perish. That's the thing is it says earlier for the, it says the way of the wicked will perish. Notice it doesn't just say the wicked will perish, right? Because they will perish, but so will the righteous. Everyone will perish. Everyone dies. Um, but it's that wicked lifestyle that will go away. 
I mean, do the wicked prosper in this world? Yeah. I mean, if you watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? Or you look at some of the richest people in this world, they're doing pretty good, right? And, and they are doing it like, a, like Sinatra says, they're doing it their way, right? And it's, it's working out for them like that. How long is that going to last for them, right? Great empires that they build for themselves, they have tons of likes on Instagram and Facebook, right? They're doing pretty good. Um, but like the, uh, the wicked, this empire that they've built, it's on sand, right? And we know where, where that's going. The, uh, the righteous will be in stone, the lifestyle that we have there. That is something that will last. Um, so even after these wicked, when they perish and their eternity is now uh, not as, as separated from God and is in eternal um, fire um, we just need to focus that um, the way the righteous is what will be forever there so if we're looking at the so what about all this right? the two contrasted paths of the righteous and wicked are both marked by their actions and destination so what so what path are you on and how do you know um, the uh, number one do you, do you delight in the word? So is scripture convicting to you right, when you're reading it? Do you delight in it? Do you spend time in it? Do you, are you drawn to it? Do you want to read um, your, your Bible? Or let that be convicting to you now if you think, eh, it's just there, I bring the Bible to church because I'm supposed to. Or are you thinking, I, no, I, I want scripture to be in my life. I I know I need to read more of the Bible. We all need to read more. We need to make better habits of doing that. Do you want to do that? Because that's, there's, that's a fruit of that we need to know, how, um, that you will want to do it and you will delight in the Word of God. Do you meditate on the Word? Right? Is, it, is that Scripture available on your lips? Can you recall it in times of struggle and you think, you know what, I remember that passage where God says something about something similar and that it would really help me out if I could remember what he had said in that time. You know, Is it something that, or is whenever you're struggling, are you just thinking about like, well, let's see, I saw this show on MTV, and they said they had a similar situation, you know, or they had some other struggle, or, you know, they, um, or my neighbor, you know, they, they had some financial trouble like that. Uh, what did they do? Is that where you're looking, you know, to get your, uh, your counsel? So do you meditate on the word? Do you seek godly counsel? Right? Where where's your counsel coming from? Um, is it the two the two things I how you can determine that? Is it self help or glorification of God? Uh, what, what any advice, any action we take in our life? You know, if it's a matter of should I move um, towns for a different job? Like the, you know, I gotta go work elsewhere. The grass is green over there. It's like, well, is this Something and it's just to be like, well, I, I, I need uh, to make more money, so I'm going to go work at this place here. Or are you thinking that, you know, how can this action glorify God in your life? Is it going to allow you more opportunities with um, maybe a church that's going to be in that area? Um, or that you can, you know, we have to move in certain things to help, you know, provide for our family, but is this something that we could then ultimately bring glory to God? with our actions, and we're not just focused just on the money or whatever we're doing. Um, so how are we seeking to glorify God? 
So if you claim to be on the right path, um, is there clear evidence um, of a transformed life? How do we know? Right? How, how are we going to know if we're doing right? Where we look at the trees with what fruit that they're bearing, we will know. The Bible says it's not a good tree um, you know, that has fruit. It's not going to not bear fruit. It's not going to be barren. It will bear fruit. And God will give that nourishment, that life that we need for that. So where do you start that road? Right? Um, to know what path you're on. To know if you're on the narrow path, if you're on the wide path. Um, well, the the good news is is that path, it's, it's today. It's right now for everyone. You know, whether that means if you are... Uh, if you are an unbeliever, you know, and this is a new to you type of thing, then it's something that you need today. You need the Word of God. You need to accept Him as your Savior. You need to confess your sins. And you need to get um, speak to someone within the church and find out how you can commit your life to God and accept that grace that is free to you. Um, and if you are in, if you are already saved, um, what are you doing to um, glorify God now? What are you doing to um, further enrich your life, to be a better servant for God, to be, have more of the scripture you know, on your tongue, and to be able to those in this world, to be in this light and this dark world? We, unfortunately, bad news is we don't know how long this path is. All right? We have these two paths. For some of us, that path is going to be a whole lot shorter than others. Right? This path might not go beyond that driveway out there. We don't know. We don't know how many breaths we have in our life, how many beats of the heart. Um, today, now is the moment for us to know what path we are on and then to uh, feed that, you know, to fill our lives with Scripture and to be a light in this world. Um, I just want to actually, uh, I'm going to close. There's a, a quote here by a, Charles Spurgeon. I was reading through some different sermons that he had when he talked about in this passage. He said, Perhaps some of you can claim a sort of negative purity because you do not walk in the way of the ungodly. But let me ask you, is your delight in the law of God? Do you study God's word? Do you make it the man of your right hand, your best companion, and hourly guide? If not, this blessing belongeth not to you. Right? That word of God should be right here with you. It should be in your mind. You should be able to bring it up all times. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity I have um, just to go over this passage just again for myself, Lord. I just thank you so much just how much it means to me. And I just pray that um, everyone here will just taking consideration the importance of how much your word is, that we should be filling our minds with it, um, actively pursuing it, and that um, it will just be on our on our lips as we read it over and over and over, that it will then be the life nourishment to us, Lord, and that uh, it will sustain us during the struggles we might have, and that our actions um, will be evident to the world around us through the fruit that we bear, um, the path that we take, that we are not looking to just walk around with this in this world, this un- ungodly world that we are actively pursuing to, um, to be a servant for you, Lord, 
and in everything we say and everything we do, Lord. I just pray that we will focus on um, your word, Lord, and making it the right hand to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.